1: Now it's time to check in on the latest on the COVID front. And we've had another day of good numbers here. Well under 100 with 78 new cases and no additional deaths. But will this last as schools are set? to reopen. And just yesterday, the WHO recommended avoiding dental visits until we know more about the risks. And this while acknowledging the caveat that there is currently no data on the spread of coronavirus from the dentist chair, and this as much has been made about the return of dental services. So we'll drill down on that, pardon the pun, uh, given that we know that neglecting oral health can hurt your overall health. Also, the Russians are claiming victory in the race for the first vaccine, which they are approving without phase three trials based on testing with a very small sample. Would you roll up your sleeve for that? And how will that affect the vaccine rate and public uptake when we do get one or several and also a study ranked the effectiveness of various types of masks we'll get a primer the number to call 416-360-0740 toll free 1-866-740-4740 right now let's go to Dr. Timothy Sly an epidemiologist and professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University, and Dr. Andrew Morrison, Infectious Diseases Specialist at the Sinai Health System and the University Health Network here in Toronto. Welcome and thank you.
2: Good afternoon, Jimmy. (laughs) Hi, Andrew. Hi there.
1: Uh, Let us start with you. So what do you make of the WHO's recommendation that we avoid dental visits? Well, I
3: think we need to take it a, a bit in uh, um, into context because what they were referring to was primarily in countries or locations where there's fairly rampant transmission of uh, COVID-19. Uh, we don't really have that right now in most places in Canada. Um, so I think that's the first thing. So I don't think the recommendations really apply uh, to the Canadian situation. I would also say that um, all our efforts in Ontario and the rest of Canada, in terms of making sure that dentistry is safe, and that has included guidance from the um, RCDSO or the Royal College of Dental Surgeons of Ontario, as well as other colleges for dental hygienists, for example, have uh, made it almost as safe as we could imagine. And there's very few, there's, there's very little aerosol generation in the procedures now. Most dental offices, they don't create that. They're not using the automatic drills. Um, Everyone's wearing protective equipment. And so I see no reason why um, we should be following those recommendations. Uh,
1: You know, that's interesting. But still, uh, as soon as this came out, I got an email from one of my colleagues that said, you know, I was just about to pick up the phone and, and book my dental appointment. And now I'm holding off. And, and when I saw this reported, you know, just checking the comments, uh, it, it got panned a lot saying, you know, why, why are they doing this? And why would they, you know, frankly, this organization to me does not have the kind of credibility that it should. And I I didn't see a caveat saying it's not for Canada, Dr. Timothy Sly. So, you know, what are they doing here?
2: Well, I think the WHO, remember, has got a, a mandate globally. And so their message is really getting out to everybody in every country in every location. And so they're, they're taking the, uh, the precautionary sort of note. But as uh, Dr. Morris was saying, uh, essentially, and I, and I have uh, three dentists in our family, too. Uh, okay, what they, they, there you go. They have been, uh, they've been uh, very, very careful. And many of them have installed uh, HEPA filters in each uh, operator. Uh, And uh, they're all avoiding any procedure that creates aerosols so the a lot of the ultraviolet ultrasound uh, teeth cleaning, the drilling, and so on, uh, but there 's tons of other pre- precautionary and preventive stuff that dentists and hygienists to do, and they are doing that the big the big open problem of course, is that open mouth because whereas all the staff can have masks on and protective gear and for shields, and so on, the poor patient is sitting there with a mouth wide open, and so that can the danger can work both ways and that 's what everybody 's concerned about but by keeping uh, the air filters, filters, keeping the procedures to avoid aerosols. uh, And I I think there's no real problem. I would have no problem going to a dentist.
1: Okay, good to know. And uh, I hope people who are hesitating about going to the dentist if they need to are listening to this. Um, I know that uh, I went to the optometrist this week. I had no issue with anything. They were taking a lot of precautions. Uh, We were all wearing masks Uh, You know, uh, and right now our numbers are good. I guess a lot of people are worried, will that continue to be the case when the kids go back to school in just a few weeks, Dr. Morris?
3: Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I wouldn't anticipate to see a marked rise in the first few weeks. Um, But first of all, this is a really crafty virus and pretty well every jurisdiction in the world That has opened up their society to close to normal, which is what will happen when we open up our schools, albeit with um, mitigating uh, measures um, does see a rebound, if not um, more of a what I call a wave that's a second uh, little wave and you know how well our public health um, organizations and institutions uh, respond to those small waves. Um, will really determine uh, how, how we'll do with it. But we are going to see more cases. We need to expect that these numbers are not going to continue um, in double digits, and we will get to uh, triple uh, digits, if not more, uh, within the next few weeks.
1: And Dr. Sly, I mean, uh, there's been a lot of controversy about the class sizes here, and the little ones are going to be in big classes. Is that okay? Okay.
2: Really, the concern here is that you look at the classroom and you can't really rely on these little kids being as responsible as we as we would like to think they were. And so, think of it as a petri dish or it's a multiplier. I mean, whatever's going on in the community, their kids get into the classroom and mix with other kids who then would take whatever they picked up back to their families and so there's multiplying uh, going on there so the, the real concern in the public health areas is to say if the spread in the community can be kept really low and slow then we're we're much safer and we can have more confidence about the classroom and the, and the way we look at that is not counting cases counting cases has been notoriously unreliable we look at the positivity rate in other words of the of the of the tests that are being done, what proportion come back positive. Ontario is sitting right now at less than 1%. It's around 0.7 to 0.8 or something like that, which is where we want to see it. No, no more than 1%. Canada as a whole is about 2.3%. Many of the United States, as a comparison, are over 20% of the wow. cases coming over uh, the tests coming back positive. They're out of control down there. So as long as we can keep it low, and uh, and we will see, as Dr. Mar said, we will see increases. The moment we start using transit more, we're getting back to offices and so on, and restaurants, and God forbid, bars, and that, cases will increase. So the secret is to try and keep them as low as possible, which means we uncouple the two things. If we're getting back into normal society we've got to increase the individual protection of distancing
1: and masking. Uh, um, Dr. Morris, uh, you know, I've talked to people who say when the kids go back to school, older people should uh, get them out of their bubbles, uh, just uh, with an abundance of caution. Do you agree with that? Or is that excessive?
3: You know, I think everyone really has to make their own kind of risk assessments. And so that includes uh, you know, how tolerant you are personally of risk, what your uh, current health situation is, not only your age, but your um, whether you have any other underlying medical conditions. Um, and, you know, I think that you make decisions based on that as, as well as possible. And it also has to be a factor of quality of life. So if you're a grandparent where, you know, your grandkids and your kids are the most important thing in your life, then, you know, maybe staying away from them isn't the most prudent thing for you, especially if you have otherwise good health. Um, so, you know, I, I, th- I think we can't make a one-size-fits-all uh, decision for, for e- each adult. And I think what we also need to keep a very close eye on is what's going on um, in community rates. So I think the risk of kids transmitting disease and bringing it home to adults and older adults in particular are going to really depend on, you know, what's happening. So if we only have 70 or 80 odd cases in Toronto, then the risk of kids bringing it home is really low. But if we start seeing the numbers in the thousands, then obviously that's going to change.
1: Okay, I'd like to give the numbers out again and uh I'm asking you out there as I will soon ask our experts, would you roll up your sleeve for a vaccine like this Russian vaccine? It is being approved without phase three trials. The numbers four one six three six zero zero seven forty, toll-free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Doctor Sly, would you get this vaccine?
2: Not the Russian one at the moment. That's that's avoided uh, almost all the checks and balances. So,
1: are you there, Doctor Sly? Uh, have we lost you? Um, hello. Hello. Yes, we've got you back again. So, oh, uh, sorry, uh, sorry,
2: I didn't hear. Uh, anyway, I wouldn't go for the Russian one. I think uh, they've avoided all the checks and balances. They announced that they went through phase one and phase two, but we haven't seen the scientific evidence. And as for phase three, I think they've avoided that altogether and just sort of gone around it. So, uh, with with all of the e- 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 efficacy testing, of course, there's a safety testing, and that's what we're worried about. Now we'll wait to some. Of, there are six now in the in proper phase three testing of the hundred and twenty or so candidate vaccines, and some of them look. Very very promising
1: uh, dr morris uh what does this do i mean there's an international race so they've kind of preempted it uh so first of all would you take a vaccine like this and and what do you think it does to the whole uh environment of of people developing a vaccine and public trust in that
3: so the first uh, the answer to the first question is, no, I wouldn't take it. Um, I certainly wouldn't take a vaccine that hasn't undergone uh, proper proper both efficacy and safety studies, and uh, the Russian one has uh, meets neither of those criteria. In terms of what it does uh, at large, you know, I think it's it's not entirely known right now. So on one hand, if this vaccine proves safe and successful, then um, this is going to, you know, make people, uh, you know, more likely or more willing to uh, roll up their sleeves. I think what is unfortunately um, more likely is we're probably not going to have the data that we want to tell us if it's safe or not. So people are going to be skeptical about it. We won't. It may fail, which would all, once again make people more skeptical to adopt the vaccine. And I think what it may be doing, hopefully not too much, but it's hard to ignore the fact that it may be putting unnecessary additional pressure on vaccine developers and manufacturers. Uh, It's hard to imagine that there could be any more pressure than they have right now. But certainly if there's a vaccine that were to prove successful and be able to be produced in large quantities and distributed, then um, that would have a, a significant effect on Home industries as well. So, um, you know, I, mo- I only see mostly downsides to what the Russians are doing here, and very little upside.
1: Just to wrap up that conversation about vaccines, our chief medical officer of health has said that there won't be any shortcuts here. But are you concerned that, that people be will be more hesitant than otherwise, be, just because the thing is new, Dr. Sly?
2: Well, we've seen this uh, unfortunate uh, small band of very noisy, uh, uh, firm anti-vax people. Uh, Luckily, there's only a few of them, but they're very loud. And what they've done is set up some uh, doubts in the minds of ordinary people who now have become, you know, joined the anti-vax hesitancy group. What we have to do is everything we do has to be accountable and clearly transparent and open, uh, to get them back into, uh, where we would like them to have, which is, uh, which is, uh, you know, it, enthusiastic about being vaccinated. I, I'll be the first in line, no question about it, and when they, when it becomes available, and so should everybody. And this is a, a dangerous. Uh, entity that's going around. And I think you're out of sight, out of mind. If we had the color poster set up in bus shelters with some poor soul in an ICU bed with tubes sticking in their lungs and, and every orifice, it would remind people that this is not, this is not influenza. This is a dangerous situation. Now here we have a, a vaccine. Once it arrives, uh, once it, uh, presumably several will arrive that have been fully tested and fully tested among tens of thousands of people, then it's an
1: Yes, we get it. Dr. Morris, what is the situation if you or I, we we get vaccinated, but there aren't enough uh, people vaccinated to have herd immunity? What is the result of that?
3: So a few things. First of all, uh, I'm pretty certain that vaccination alone is not going to lead us out of this abyss of uh, dealing with covid um, you know, it's going to require many things, including all the measures that we're doing right now. So I think for people to expect that a vaccine um, will, will uh, you know, literally eradicate the disease overnight once it becomes available um, is a bit of a pipe dream. You know, we still get cases of measles in Canada. And we've had measles vaccines um, effectively for decades. And so it's going to be no different with this. You know what herd immunity does, and you don't need 100% herd immunity. The estimates are somewhere around 50 to 60% of the population um, for COVID. To, um, you would want vaccinated to really reap the benefits of herd immunity. So we don't need 100%. Um, obviously, the more people that can be effectively vaccinated with an effective uh, vaccine, that will help and will definitely keep the numbers low. So we're only looking for really good. We don't need great here. Um, And so the sooner we have a, a good vaccine that will be widely available and be taken up by the majority of Canadians, I think we'll do great.
1: Okay. Uh, and finally, there was a study of the various kinds of masks. And uh, it it showed that, you know, the N95 respirators were the best. Next were the surgical masks, those disposable ones you see a lot of people wearing and cloth masks, homemade cloth masks were also Pretty good, and and some of those other things like bandanas were not very good. Uh, you know, should should the public health message now be because you still see, see or hear people saying any kind of face covering is good? Should uh, should that be taken off the public health message, Doctor Sly?
2: Well, it, it, it's back on an old uh, old bit of truth uh, that something's better than nothing. Uh, is still valid. Uh, the, the, we've seen enormous change in the philosophy of this. You remember, Libby, when you first came out, people were saying, oh, people, public doesn't need a mask. It's just for medical people. Uh, and then we began to realize the model is a little different, that I wear a mask to protect you and you wear a mask to protect me. And so that puts a different light on it. And if we can, no mask is 100%. Uh, but if at least if we can have the vast majority, it's a little bit like herd immunity. If we get the vast majority of people wearing a mask, we're going to simply cut down the amount of virus in the air in that close zone. So you wear the best mask you can possibly afford and use it all the time, and you'd be careful when you take it off. You don't you wash your hands and so on. And that's, that's the best we can do with masks at the moment.
1: Dr. Morris?
3: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think, um, you know, a mask is better than no mask, and um we're probably spending a bit too much time worrying on what kind of face covering uh, people should be wearing. I think if we get most people covering their face most of the time, uh we'll continue to have pretty good numbers.
1: yeah, I mean when everywhere that I go, there seems to be virtually a hundred percent compliance
3: yeah I, th- I think we you know we see that in Toronto um that is not true throughout the country, and certainly not true in the United States. So I think we should be uh, really proud of ourselves, not only in Toronto, but perhaps most places in Ontario. uh, We should be proud of that fact. Um, I hope that it doesn't lead to uh, people um, being more uh, relaxing um, their measures around social distancing, because that's almost certainly a more effective measure than masking. The combination is best. So I definitely want to see people continuing to uh, maintain distance as much as possible, but especially when they can't do uh,
2: covering their face.
1: Okay, and Dr. Sly, what would you like to leave us with here?
2: I think the, as, we, as we move towards something that we, we do remember as normal, that we, we keep maintaining that, uh, that distancing as a number one uh, aspect and also the masking as well if there's more than two people more than one person in a in a room then they wear masks it's as simple as that and a paper just published 24 hours ago did confirm for the first time the vi- viable virus uh, in a room, admittedly, it was in a hospital in a respiratory technology department with a patient who was clearly highly infected. But they were finding virus in the air at about four to five meters away, away It's to very small amounts, but it was, it was there. So and if that gets back to what I was saying and uh, Dr. Morris was saying earlier on, the mask is still important. Don't leave it off. Don't forget it. Don't, don't assume because we're getting back to normality. You can leave the mask at home. Keep using it.
1: Okay, and Dr. Morris, what else do we have to keep in mind as we get closer to something more normal?
3: To be honest, I think, you know, we're doing all the right things as as members of the public right now, which is really following guidance. I guess we're a pretty obedient and uh, trusting society in Toronto and in Ontario. So I think we should be continuing to follow most of the public health guidance. I You know, I think if we continue to do that and public health continues to do their job, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do pretty well over the next while.
1: Okay. Thank you both. Dr. Andrew Morris, Dr. Timothy Sly, appreciate your time.
3: Thank you, Libby. Bye now.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. And uh, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow. So if you didn't have a chance, or if there's something else on your mind, there's uh, all kinds of bits of things happening, uh, even though it is the dog days of summer. So we can deal with all of that tomorrow on Free For All Friday. And that is all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.